Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. The Grind. Thanks to Tennis Direct, your number one online tennis store with great prices and fast delivery. Go shopping at tennisdirect.com.au. Use the discount code FIRSTSERVE10. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Grind. I'm your host. My name is Roddy Reynolds, and today I'm joined by Greek ATP tennis professional Mikhail Pavlarakis. Mikhail was a standout college performer at the University of Portland five years ago uh, and has just come off a final at a challenger in Mexico and has represented uh, Greece in the ATP and Davis Cups. Welcome to the show, Mikhail. Yeah, it's nice to see you. How are things at the moment? Hi, Rodi. Thank you very much for having me. Everything is good. Just in Mexico, you know, grinding. <laughs> exactly that you are. Can you tell us about, I guess, for anyone that hasn't seen you play yet or might not have seen you, particularly for Australians at the ATP Cup, how would you describe your career so far in your game? You're obviously six foot four, big serving. Um, could you, you know, elaborate a bit further? Yeah, so uh, like you mentioned, I, I played college tennis and I finished with that summer of 2018. Since then, I have basically been on tour with, uh, you know, some exceptions, some injuries and COVID and all that. You know, I, this year, I actually have decided to move on doubles a bit more. I'm still going to play singles, but I wasn't 100% happy with my results. Obviously, had some good results in singles and had some great matches. Just overall, I feel like not making the Grand Slam qualifying and you know, not making a main draws of challenges and playing some ATP events. It's uh, it's really difficult to sustain, you know, to, to play financially, you know, mentally, physically, everything, you know. Obviously, it's a big difference playing uh, those bigger events over over futures and challengers. I've, I've made the decision of, of trying playing some more doubles, focusing a bit more in doubles and hopefully in a year or two uh, being able to you know, get into slums and play and play the big events. That's uh, interesting. Interesting to say that because uh, Luke's Luke's just gone the other way. We I spoke to him recently, and um, one, another Aussie, Andy Harris, recently has done exactly what you're you're doing. He partnered uh, Christian Harrison, who was on the show recently, and it does seem to be a bit of a not a trend, but certainly a difficult decision for for people like yourself to make. Where you do have that singles career or that singles option available to you, but I guess it must be enticing because. I think if you look at the top 40, 50 ATP doubles players, they're all in their mid to late 30s, with the exception of uh, right. Hijikata and Kubler, who are, who are young Aussies in their 20s. But for someone like yourself, if I'm not mistaken, that still means there's up to you know a 15-year career doubles career that you can have if you can get it right, because everyone seems to be playing for so much right. longer now. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, uh, obviously, doubles is not as physical and not as demanding in the body. Uh, you surf less, you play less, you, you don't play five sets, you know, you, uh, m- most of the tournaments is a, it's a match tie break in the third set. Uh, so obviously, yeah, people can, can definitely go longer, play longer careers. And obviously some, sometimes they might have to just because they obviously make less money than the singles players. So it, it was, I have to say, it was a really difficult decision for me, especially being in the position that I'm in, that I, Right now, I dropped from number two to number three in, in Greece, but for the last 
three or four years, I have been I have been the number two player after Stefanos, and I've been representing Greece, you know, in uh, ATP Cup, Davis Cup, and all that. And I still want to help my country, especially in Davis Cup. But yeah, I might have to do it through through doubles, or uh, if I do have to step, I, you know, I want to stay physically fit and still train for singles. Uh, so I can help my country, you know, in, uh, in those competitions, those team competitions. And so you'll still sign into singles when you play a challenger and you'll just, we try and play qualifying in the singles in the challenger and then play uh, challenger doubles. Is that the plan? Yeah, that's the plan for now. Uh, definitely not, not trying to go play uh, futures right now. Definitely play uh, singles uh, qualifying, you know, of, of challengers. If I if I get into them, you know, I still have a little bit of a ranking. I'm, you know, around 650 is it's obviously dropping the more I don't play. But just I find it really difficult right now since I have been doing well in doubles to to be like, okay, I'm gonna go back to futures and sort of give up, you know, the challengers. And that's a that's a common thing, I, I guess we hear. Starting from the start, you were born in Cyprus, but you now represent Greece. Where did where and when did you start playing tennis as a kid? Did you where you grew up, did you have access to good facilities or or, or did you have to travel far to be able to play at an academy or, or with your na- national institute or something like that? Yeah, right. Um, yeah, I started playing uh, tennis in Cyprus I, when I was four years old, actually. My parents were just playing at the resort and uh, just for fun. And then there, there was a lady there giving lessons, a coach, and uh, we decided. I don't know who decided, if I liked it or my parents or whatever. Uh, to start taking lessons, so I, I, yeah, I took I took a year of lessons there, maybe like once or twice a week, very easy, and then uh, looked like I enjoyed it and I wanted to continue, so I went in a, at the club and I was taking more, more and more lessons the more I, w- I was growing up. It was it was pretty close to my house. It was like a fifteen minute drive. Uh, my parents were both working, so basically I was getting dropped off 3 p.m. in the afternoon and getting picked up at 8. Spent a lot of time playing with the walls, spent a lot of time playing mini tennis, playing, you know, tennis, uh, you know, with other kids, just having a lot of fun, you know. And that happened probably from the age of 7 or 8 to 12, 13, where, you know, I, obviously when I was, you know, 10, 12, I started, you know, having some results and uh, starting being recruited from the National Federation of Cyprus, where it, w- it was an hour away and I ended up like staying with a family, with a host family uh, for, for two years away from my parents Monday to Friday in order to train morning and night, you know, at, at the National uh, Center of Cyprus. I used to play for Cyprus, but... Uh, the thing is that I, I don't have a Cypriot passport, so actually I should have never played for Cyprus. I, technically, I'm not allowed to play under Cyprus just because I don't have a passport. And this basically only showed up when I when we were looking to Davis Cup options and potentially playing Davis Cup for Cyprus and reaching out to ITF. And ITF is like, she cannot play Davis Cup for Cyprus. She doesn't have a passport. So I'm like, oh my God. Uh, okay, I guess, you know, yeah. So then I... I you know, I, then I went to college and all that, and then I basically just switched to Greece because I, I, I had to. To be honest, it worked out well for me, you know, like just having Stefanos and Maria today, you know, as Greek tennis players and getting the opportunity on, you know, competing in ATP Cup and all that, which I wouldn't have if I was playing uh, for another country, most likely. Absolutely. And 
when it came time time to go to college, as you said, you went to the University of Portland. I believe uh, you were the West Coast Conference Player of the Year two years in a row. How did you apply to to go to the University of Portland? Did you send videotapes off of you know matches and training tapes, or or did you know someone that helped facilitate that for you? A lot of college coaches, what they do, I think they they just go through the ITF rankings, you know, juniors and and reaching out to reaching out to players, asking them if they wanna you know, play, uh, you know, college tennis and a lot. And obviously I had, I had a few offers. I've had a few different offers. I really don't remember why I chose Portland specifically. I think I really liked the coach, which ended up being uh, an amazing coach, probably the best coach I've had in my life. So I'm really grateful, even though Portland, University of Portland is not a big school. We only had three indoor courts and one outdoor court. So our, our matches were really long there. Uh, the coach was, yeah outstanding so um, I'm, I was really happy I, I progressed a lot during college and I could see it in my results I could see it in my game and basically he made me ready you know for the pro tour and what I have to do so uh, I was I was really ready to go right after college one of the things I'm interested in there is I've, I've heard college players like Maxine Cressy and Rinky Hijikata talk about this before and, that, and they say that the college system facilitates you to be ready for the tour and, and part of that comes from the mental preparation and part of that also comes from being in a high energy intense match with obviously like a crowd and obviously yeah, as you would have played many times throughout your college career you'd have the crowd for you and against you depending on where you are did you find that that was something that you could rely on when it came time for the tour that mental preparation and then having been in those I guess those really intense matches with a big crowd both for and against you you know uh, as opposed to just sort of being out there by yourself yeah definitely I mean it, it's a very energetic uh you know, a crowd and, and, and environment in general, even the practices are, are very competitive. So I feel like there is this, this sense of, uh, of, of getting better in general, like in that college system. So, yeah, I think I, I felt, you know, it's a little bit of a shock when uh, you play, you could play in front of, you know, a thousand people in college and then you go to, you know, Sean McShake and you play against the ref and that's it you know so you play in front of the ref so it's like it's a big change i don't think everyone appreciates like the difference so much because it's like you know you have a team supporting you you have your coach sitting in your bench and then you basically just sit by yourself no one really watches no one really cares and it's like some people just cannot handle the the, the difference i think the tour is it's much harder like in general it's much it's a much harder like environment to be than you know very much lonely and and yeah you have to spend a lot of time by yourself and it's pretty competitive i have to say i mean the the there's not that many guys that are interested in being your friend. Everyone obviously is looking for for ways to to win and and all that. So it's definitely a big difference between college tennis and uh, professional tennis. I guess on that note, do you travel with a, a coach at the moment or a trainer, or do you or do you have a coach and trainer that comes with you for a little bit and then goes back home? What's your travel situation at the moment? Yeah. So last last year. I traveled with a coach for uh, seven or eight months. It didn't go so well, I mean, uh, results-wise. So I, I decided to sort of travel by myself, uh, figure out things by myself. I, I, I do have a coach that, that is helping me out, but right, right at this moment, I'm not, I'm traveling completely alone. You must be pretty organized then to be able to do all that by yourself and then, it, you know, getting from each, uh, each city, signing dates on time, organizing doubles partners, that sort of thing. 100%, yeah. I mean, I've... Uh, 
when I started playing on the tour, I was alone anyway for for a while. So in general, I'm an organized guy. I'm I'm good at setting practices up, you know, finding flights, all that. So it, it's something that most tennis players have to deal with. And uh, obviously, there are some guys, that, especially the guys in the top, that don't have to deal with basically nothing other than tennis most of the times. Yeah, and uh, I'm pretty organized. <laughs> Do you have someone this year that you want to play a lot of doubles with? You've obviously said that you want to um, make this year and your doubles a focus. Uh, is there someone you want to play with a lot? Are there a number of players that you would like to play with? Or what's your strategy? Uh, I think ideal is to to find a partner that, uh, you know, uh, potentially we, we we train together a lot. We live close to each other and, and uh, just spending a lot of time. I think that... You know, the most successful teams obviously play with each other uh, for the whole year, most of the time, you know, for years sometimes. Mm -hmm. So I think it's uh, getting to know your partner, getting to know, you know, which return he likes, which serve he likes, uh, what is he going to do on that net play and all that. It's crucial for for uh, for succeeding. Uh, I think doubles, it's a very, very detailed uh, in a way that, uh, you know, one or two points can determine the whole match, you know, especially if you're playing in a match tie break. So I think that, uh, yeah, just trying to find a partner that could eventually play, uh, you know, the whole year or for years to come. You like to play with a left-hander because you're right-handed. I don't mind playing with a lefty. The thing with me is that I I play on the deuce. So usually uh, left-handers like to also play on the deuce. Yeah, I might. Actually, I might play with a lefty for... Uh, then the next six to eight weeks. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. All right, we'll be watching. How do you decide yeah. who you're going to play with? Like if, if you don't have someone, for instance, you said you've got someone for the next six to eight weeks, but let's say you didn't, uh, do you just have some favorites that you might message or do you look at the entry list and see who might be playing singles that might want to play doubles? How do you how do you decide who you play with each week if you don't have a continuous partner? I've played with guys and uh, ideally I will pick somebody that I've played before and I've had a good result with. Uh, for example, these this three weeks, uh, sorry, two weeks, I played with Max Newchrist, an Austrian guy, which uh, we ended up playing a tournament like a year and a half ago and made the finals, uh, first tournament we ever played together. Then we got back together a year later and we won a challenger. So... Obviously, something is working in between us. You know, I saw, I saw he's coming to Mexico. We're going to play all, uh, all four weeks here, but it didn't work out because he needs to go for club matches. But uh, yeah, usually like with guys that I've played before and I had good results with or a good chemistry with, uh, I, try to, I try to play again. I think there is a bit of a risk playing with uh, singles players just because, mm. you know, I, for example, uh, last week Max played same fans of singles. So she, she obviously had a bunch of singles matches. She finished the match at, uh, at 10 p.m. and we had to play doubles after that. So it's like, obviously, it's not ideal. He was tired when the ball winning, but, you know, it was it was at the edge. So I think finding players that are focusing in doubles, uh, it's less risky. Um, one of the things that we've sort of uh, alluded to a little bit that I'd like to get into a bit now is representing Greece. Not everyone gets to represent their country. That's a wonderful achievement that you've got in the bank now already. When did you first represent Greece? And, and can you tell us a bit about your experiences in doing so? Because you've obviously got Stefanos, who's, I guess, the leader of the team. And then I think Apostolos coaches both ATP and Davis Cup. Um, and I'm guessing you you would have enjoyed the ATP Cup uh, in Australia in particular with such, obviously, such a large Greek contingent. 
not quite mm-hmm. home, but perhaps a home away from home. Yeah, could you take us inside what it's like to represent your country and what that means to you? Basically, Stefanos and I started playing Davis Cup team. That was that was in September 2019. So it was around a year after after I was done with college. I got called to play Davis Cup. Stefanos also decided to start playing Davis Cup for Greece uh, around that time, the same time as me, basically. So we have been on the team together for the past, you know, f- four or five years. Obviously, it's uh, one of my favorite events. If I'm being honest, you know, you 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 have your friends, uh, you know, the team members. Even uh, you have a coach, you have you have a physio, you have a trainer, you have everything that you need. You're playing in front of crowds. The first time we played was in Athens, and actually it was a group three, so we had to play four dual matches in four days. You know, because of the, the lower groups, you you mm. play the round robin, and then. Uh, yeah, a few teams passed. So obviously that was my first experience in Greece, in Athens, uh, 2019. And it was just incredible, you know, just playing in front of a crowd, people cheering from you, even against you, you know, it's just so much more into it than just playing, uh, you know, by yourself, you know, in futures and challenges, obviously it's a, it's a completely different environment. And it, those are my favorite weeks of the year. Uh, after that, I played the ATP Cup, the first, the first edition of the ATP Cup, I, I think I was the first match ever. I played against Felix, or generally Asim, that got destroyed. But it was still like just so cool, you know, just playing like yeah. you know, in front of thousands and thousands of people. Like, you know, everything is perfect. The, the, the courts are perfect. The, the hotel, everything is just, just a great, great experience overall. And I'm really grateful I, I got this opportunity. I understand that not a lot of people get this opportunity. And, I'm grateful uh, for those moments and those experiences. You had a pretty good result with Stefanos in the ATP Cup as well. I saw this morning that you beat in your first doubles, I think, uh, Hubie Herkash and Jan Zielinski. Hopefully, there's a there's a good opportunity for you to partner Stefanos in the future, pending, of course, what happens with uh, Petros's doubles career as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, Stefanos will. It's you know probably the best partner I could ask for. We we've had uh, we had a lot of tough battles together. In ATP Cup, uh, in Davis Cup also a few matches, but yeah, obviously Pedros is doing really well. Uh, Stefanos is uh, definitely going to pick his brother over me, you know, to play double. So uh, it's it's completely normal. I, uh, hopefully one day I get to play with him. And uh, one of my goals is to play the Olympic Games also. So hopefully I will, I will make it there also one day. What's the qualification requirements for the Olympic Games? Is it is it based on national ranking? No, it's based on ATP ranking actually, uh, and then there is just the the, the regular cutoff, uh, whatever that would be. But I think there's a rule that only four players per country can play. So, for example, you know, France or or or, or Spain might have ten guys in the top hundred, mm. but only four of them can get to play. I think okay. that's that's a rule. Yeah, because that that would open up a few more spots. What other goals do you have at the moment? I mean, obviously, the doubles. The goal was to progress the doubles, but do you, do you put numbers or do you base your goals on uh, effort and intangible things? What how do you go about that process? I have I have daily goals specific to my game. Uh, that there are things that uh, there are things. Obviously, this year they're double specific uh, that I'm I'm trying to get better. It could be a thing on the volley, or it could be a put away, or returns, and a lot. I mean, I've had I have five or six things written down that I try to work daily. And from there, my mentality is that if you if you do things right, and if you if you work you know the right way and keep progressing, the results are gonna come. 
Uh, obviously, I've, I've set the goal of cracking top 100 uh, in a year. I, w- I was here for the first three months of the year, so I'm giving myself a little wiggle room. So hopefully next March, potentially crack the top 100 in doubles and start making slumps, uh, which is you know, one of my biggest goals. But yeah, for now it's that. I was wondering as well, I think I read this in a, in a Melbourne-based Greek newspaper. Have you done some work with uh, another famous Cypriot in the past, Marcos Bagdadis? Yeah, yeah, I've I've worked with Marcos. I've did I did my off season with him end of 2020. Yep, that's right. End of 2020, I did my off season with him, and it was it was a great time and a great experience. You know, just learning from Marcos. Marcos is my idol growing up. You know, he's obviously from the same city as me, and just watching him play. I mean, I loved watching him play, and obviously remember uh, that final in 20. 20- 2006 in Australian Open. I mean, kids were getting out of school to go watch him. You know, like uh, the teachers were bringing TVs at school to watch Marcos play. Really, uh, the quarters and the and, yeah, and the quarters and the and the semis because it was it was during school days and school hours. And then obviously the final was on uh, was on Sun on Sunday. I remember, yeah. And uh, there were just big screens at my club. Everyone's watching. People wearing like shirts of him. So uh, just working with him and 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 learning. From things from him is just you know super cool and very grateful uh, for that opportunity also and when you would work with him would that be on technical parts of your game or would that be uh, around things like uh, professionalism or the mental side what what did you sort of take from that experience uh we had five or six weeks working together so the beginning was was few technical things and a lot of fitness things like he he made me hit a lot of balls i remember lots of Lots of feeding, lots of hard feeding and all that. And then I actually was playing. Uh, sometimes I was feeding with him and working on, uh, you know, some moving drills with him and all that. And then actually I was playing, uh, I was playing matches with other kids and, uh, or, or other players and he would be next to me and sort of work on the tactical part or on the basically everything like. Just because we had uh, we had six weeks together. Fantastic! You must you must count yourself very lucky. And um, one last sort of question for you: when you when you are traveling, obviously you you're on your own at the moment and you're uh, working your way through that. But what do you like to do when you get to a new city? Do you uh, do you lock in straight away, think about the tennis, or do you like to go to a favorite spot? Do you like to play golf, go for a bike ride? How how do you how do you how do you uh, I guess break right. up the monotony of traveling so much? I mostly just try to hang out uh, with other players and, and some of my friends that, that would potentially be in the same tournament. If I have time, I love to see, uh, you know, uh, new places. And, you know, that I feel like most of the times I don't have time for some reason. Uh, but, yeah, I, I love to see new places and, 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 and you know, experiencing uh, new cultures, new food, all that. I think it's part, you know, just having the opportunity to travel uh, for your work, uh, basically, uh, I think it's really cool. I think a lot of people are not taking advantage of this. So yeah, just uh, trying to, you know, right now I'm learning Spanish. I'm in Mexico for three weeks. I tried to learn a bit of Spanish. And yeah, I guess it depends on the week. Uh, last week there was a really nice pool. So I was I was free diving a little bit. I was trying to reach like 50 meters underwater, but it didn't happen. It depends. I, I, I like the water. Uh, I like Obviously, Australia spends some time at the beach uh, during the summer. And yeah, there's, there's just not that as much time usually. Well, Miguel, you are a very, very kind and lucky man. Thank you for coming on here and speaking with us at The Grind. We appreciate it. And uh, I certainly hope we see you come back time and time again for the ATP Cup.
Thank you to Mikhail Pervlarakis, uh, who's joined us today on The Grind. Uh, be sure to check in next month with a, another edition. Thank you. The First Serve is your home of tennis at thefirstserve.com.au. Log on to find out all the details of our live radio show, other podcasts, read weekly features by our team of writers, and follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and subscribe to our YouTube channel.